kind of a prototypical meathead. I loved lifting weights. I loved training. And it was all about, you know, going, it, it just going heavier. Everything, it was like max yeah. effort. Everything was max effort. I had a, whatever I did on the lat pull down last week, I had to do 10 pounds more. You know, if it's a concentration curl, you got to go heavier. What is up, my friend, and welcome to The Dan Go Show. I'm your host, Dan Go, coach to high-performing entrepreneurs and professionals. And what we do at The Dan Go Show is tease out the best practices of the highest-performing entrepreneurs in the world while sharing cutting-edge, evidence-based information to help you become healthier and wealthier. So if that's what you're into, you're in the right place. Click that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so every time one of my episodes goes live, you'll be the first to know. What is up and welcome to the podcast. I have with me a fitness legend, uh, a strength and training legend. Uh, He is someone that I've been looking up to for, I would say, like the past two decades uh, in terms of getting the the cutting edge training techniques. And uh, I've been following him literally for almost like my entire training career. His name is Joe DeFranco. And he has, uh, he, he's what I call a celebrity trainer, but in the sense of where he trains really high caliber athletes, uh, have you trained any celebrities at all? Or if you could, if you, uh, consider the WWE clients are kind of like a hybrid, you know, celebrity movie star slash athlete, but, um, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's about the extent of it. Awesome. So, so yeah, Joe's background is, uh, training uh, pretty much like the, the highest caliber athletes out there. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, and and again, uh, everything that – I'm not going to say everything, but a, most of the things I've learned, a lot of the mobility drills that I do, they have been uh, they have been imported and adopted from watching Joe's stuff over the past two decades. So, Joe, just want to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the kind words. That was an awesome intro. And – especially coming from you, like I said, uh, right back at you. I've been following your content as well and learning a ton of stuff. And you just put out such valuable information, uh, which I appreciate because being in this industry for closer to, to three decades now than even two, I, I know it's it's unfortunately harder to come by, you know, the good ones, the qualified ones, the ones with the experience and that are in it for all the right reasons, really trying to help people and make an impact. Uh, they're few and far between, but you are, you're in that 1%. And, uh, so you saying those things about me means a lot because, because uh, I feel the same, uh, about you and the content you're putting out there. So very yeah. cool. Appreciate it. I'm going to, I'm going to receive that and really just like think about that the whole day today. And I really do appreciate that. So I, I guess we it. can, I guess we can segue into this. Um, maybe it's me, but when I look at kind of like social media fitness and when I look at uh, a lot of the, uh, well, a lot of uh, the OGs and also the up and comers, there seems to be a little bit of a gap in there. The The gap is, is that the OGs are very much like smart enough to say that, Hey, um, do what works for you. Uh, this may work. This may not. I don't know. They actually say, I don't know a lot as well. 
And the uppercomers, they they come with conviction. They're like, stop doing this exercise. Stop doing mobility before your uh, your workouts or before squats. Just do like a couple of like warm-up sets or whatever. So I want to get your opinion on kind of like this evolution of social media fitness. And what can we do to kind of, uh, I guess you could say, make sense of it all? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, unfortunately, you know, it, it's the the polarizing opinions that that get the clicks and get the views and uh, you know unfortunately get you followers too yeah. because it seems like not not all but the the quote unquote fitness influencers with the millions of followers you know guys like us we have we have you know big followings decent followings but not in the millions and uh, millions and unfortunately when you look i think you do see a lot of those with those huge followings, it is the younger generation and maybe it is a generational thing where there are just, you know, more younger people on social media than, you know, you're not as many, I don't know the exact stats, but probably, uh, I don't know if there's as many 50 and 60 year olds on Instagram or TikTok that there are, you know, 20 year olds. So that generation and, and just social media in general, it's, you know, you nailed it. Like guys like us who actually have experience and have worked with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of clients from all walks of life, we know that the answer to most things is it depends on the client, on the situation, like their injury history, their training background. Like there's just so many variables that, you know, it's very hard to give a a very, you know, objective black and white answer to things because the answer does depend. And that's why a lot of times people that are brilliant will say, I don't know, or it depends, or, you know, I got to, or they'll follow up your question with another question because Mm -hmm. they need more information. Because again, they have enough experience to know that one size does not fit all uh, everyone, it, while we do have a lot of, uh, certainly a lot of commonalities and you see a lot of the same issues with clients across the board, there are also a lot of differences. And unfortunately, you know, I, I, I don't really have an answer for you. I, I just, um, I, I know that when you have a lot of experience, um, and you've trained a lot of people, you, you're not going to have, you know, as many of those type of opinions, uh, those polarizing type of opinions, because you know that every everything is an individual basis, and it's got to be treated as such. Uh, and it's why may, maybe it's one of the reasons why we don't have the millions <laughs> of followers. But um, just for people listening, I would say, do your due diligence. Like don't just go by following and, and say, Oh, that person's got 2.7 million followers. They must know what they're talking about. Do five minutes of research and see how long has this person been in the industry? Do they have any kind of an education, any kind of a background while, while schooling and, you know, formal education certainly isn't the be all end all it helps. But more important than that is, their experience. How long have they been in the industry? Who have they trained? Just because someone has six pack abs doesn't mean they know what the hell they're talking about. And I would, the, the advice I always give is whoever you, whatever your goal is, if you're someone listening to this right now and, you know, for whatever reason you follow Dan, you want to 
you know, you're turning 40 next year and, and you just got blood work done and you have, you want to make some changes with that, whatever it may be. When you're looking for influencers or people to follow, look for people who worked with people like you and have gotten results with clients similar to you. Like even like a celebrity thing is cool. Having pro athletes is cool, but maybe, you know, you're not looking for the trainer who worked with a hundred NFL football players. You, if you're a 40 year old looking to get in the best shape of your life, just so you could kind of play with your kids, try to find someone who has experience with that clientele and that population. So, you know, just a little bit of my two cents on kind of how to navigate this whole social media thing, but it is, I don't have all the answers and it's, I'm as frustrated as most people at the whole thing. Um, so I just do my best, put out the best information possible, and hopefully people find it and benefit from it. Ah, you do a great job of that. And also, you're able to keep uh, your integrity. I think that's one of the main things about uh, what you do and the stuff that you put out is the fact that uh, everything is under the lens of someone who's actually trained thousands and thousands of people and understands all the variabilities that go beyond that. So... One of the videos that I have probably watched 100 to 150 times of yours, it was called the, at first, I think it, it was called the Mobile 8 or the Agile 8. Yep, Agile 8. The Agile, okay, so that was about five years ago. What would you say is your Agile 8 right now? Oh, wow, that's a good, that's a good question. I would say... For me personally, and again, this is going to, this would help most, most people, but for me personally, my, my big issues have been, uh, anyone who knows my history with back, I unfortunately, uh, very abbreviated version of the story had a tumor in my sacrum at 17 years old that went misdiagnosed and, um, unfortunately I had four back surgeries by the time I was 21, three of which, didn't work. They just created more damage and kind of more issues that I'm dealing with you know, 30 mm. years later. But uh, so back has been a big issue for me. And then shoulders playing football my whole life, then competing in powerlifting a little bit and just, you know, quite frankly, being a meathead when I was younger and <laughs> just wanted to lift the most weight possible. Uh, could have done things a little smarter, a little different, like all of us in our teenage years and in our 20s. So that caught up with me later on in life. I just had major shoulder surgery two years ago. So my my um, Agile 8 would probably focus uh, – a big majority of my attention would be kind of low back care and shoulder care. So – and this is where uh, I will answer the question, but I got to – I'm going to do exactly what we just said and tell you it depends um, on your situation, but – I would say most people, especially in their late 30s and beyond, would benefit from more, you know, shoulder mobility and and low back care. Most people have a quote unquote, you know, will complain of a tight low back or some mm -hmm. kind of low back pain at some point in their life. So this would be very helpful. I think more important than the specific exercise um, is just hitting the right muscles and the and the right areas. So you we could talk thoracic mobility and you could give me your 10 favorite mobility drills and I could give you 10 favorite. 
I don't think there are, you know, any that are one better than the next. I think certain drills, uh, whether it's mobility or strength, we could talk about too, fit better for certain body types. We all have different anthropometry. We all have different proportions. So one mobility drill might feel weird for me where you think it's the greatest uh, exercise in the world. So with that being said, I will say starting uh, my shoulder surgeries kind of fresher in my head and, and shoulder care, hmm. you want to think of, and most of us are staring at our phones or sitting at a desk uh, most of the day, unfortunately. Um, not everyone has the the luxury like Dan and I, where we, I always say, I don't, I don't have a real job. I get to just <laughs> do what I love for a living. So, but there's a lot of people out there with real jobs who have to actually sit in a car, sit in a desk. Yeah. So you want to think of, your shoulders, there's three main areas, your thoracic spine, your shoulder blades, mm -hmm. your, your scapula, mm -hmm. and then the actual glenohumeral joint, that ball and socket joint. So I like to, you know, give people information so that they don't need me and they could kind of become their own best trainer. I think that's one of the most valuable things you could do for a, uh, a client. So I would say pick your favorite thoracic mobility drill for me i love uh the prayer stretch you could look that up what you kind of place your elbows on a bench you kneel down and um you kind of get in the opposite position of where we are most of our day sitting staring at a computer but choose your favorite google thoracic extension and try a whole bunch of different drills and whatever you find to be the best do that Shoulder blades or scapula mobility, same thing. Um, I like scap push-ups where you kind of keep your arms straight and you just use your shoulder blades. You squeeze them together, retract them, and then protract them, separate them. And then also making shoulder circles. We want to kind of train three-dimensionally. But again, Google, you know, scapula mobility, uh, find what one you like best. And then with the glenohumeral joint, we want that balance between internal and external rotation. Most of us are tight internally. So I, I like a external rotation strengthening exercise that also could double as, you know, a, a pec mobility type of drill. So things like face pulls, uh, you know, your, your basic rotator cuff, external rotator work is great. It uh, doubles as a mobility drill and a strength drill. So again, choose, you know, shoulder mobility or external rotation. And there's your big three for shoulders. Low back, most people make the mistake of like foam rolling their low back and going or getting a massage and telling the masseuse to work on their low back because it's tight rarely are your spinal erectors the actual problem. If you have a tight low back, it's usually the muscles that are kind of pulling on the pelvis, pulling on the spine that's creating that tightness. So you want to focus on the psoas muscle or just you could think like your quad muscles uh, in general, like a, a Kelly Sturette calls it the couch stretch. You don't need a couch, but basically getting in that type of position and stretching that area choose your poison. You want to also address your groin, your adductor muscles. That could be a, a Cossack squat, a side lunge. Um, 
There was different. I I hate, but also love the tactic. If you Google tactical frog, um, that's horrible. Like one of the worst feeling (laughs) stretches while you're doing it, but almost immediate reductions in low back tightness and pain when you do that uh, a drill or something similar there. Glutes are another big one, biggest muscle in the body, downward pull on the spine. You want to, you know, some kind of a pigeon pose. Uh, That's a lot of times a little too intense for most people, but you could certainly uh, look up modifications for a pigeon pose. Um, So uh, glutes, adductors, quad slash hip flexor, and then the QL, the quadratus lumborum is kind of like a a silent killer, so to speak, Mm. of the the low back and low back tightness. So there's different lateral line stretches. Uh, If you look up QL mobility or stretches, um, that – I don't know. I think we're at seven or, or – so I think that's seven. We did four and three. And then I would do something for your ankles, mm. um, ankle mobility. or f- One of the best things is even just getting a golf ball or a lacrosse ball and we call like smashing the bottom of your feet is, is phenomenal for your entire body actually. You could, you could actually – if you want a, a pretty cool test, bait – Test your hamstring length, like do just the ba- stand up and just basically bend over and touch your toes, keeping your knees straight and see how far you could bend. Most people barely touch their toes. And then without stretching your hamstrings, without doing any kind of stretching, just spend about a minute on each foot and really roll out the arch of your foot, your heel, get all those sensitive, tight, tender areas. And after you roll out your feet, Restretch and just retest that ham, quote unquote, hamstring length, mm. and you will notice on average. I mean, I've seen from from one to three inches, like people get just by, you know, uh, mobilizing the bottom of their feet and, and kind of addressing the fascia on the bottom of their feet. So that's a that's an all star. Um, so that would be kind of the new agile. A. I, I think. The biggest difference there, and this is my mentality, and it goes hand in hand with what you were just saying, in the old me would have had the the eight best stretches ready for you. You know, I'd have memorized, I do them every day. These are the stretches you have to do. But 47-year-old Joe DeFranco, who's been training people for 26 years, I know that not every stretch, not every mobility drill is the best for everyone. So now I think more in terms of you know, movements and muscles and giving you the, the, the template, so to speak. And then you pick the specific drill, the specific exercise that fits your body the best. I love that. And, uh, you did mention that you are, uh, 46 years old right now. Um, how, or 47. I appreciate you, it though. I wish look, I could go back. <laughs> you, you look freaking fantastic, man. I mean, you Thank look like you. you're in your thirties. I, I actually like, one of the things that I found that uh, was really cool, I was looking at your body transformation. Um, you got you got just like super ripped when you got into your forties. Um, that was something I was just like, God damn it, that's it's like I got to do that now. Fuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when you're, let's just say you're forty-seven right now, uh, you're going to hit fifty in about three years. What exactly has changed from? the way that you train right now, as opposed to the way that you trained when you were like in your twenties and thirties. Um, 
so much different. I was, again, just kind of a prototypical meathead. I loved lifting weights. I loved training. And it was all about, you know, going, it, it just going heavier. Everything, it was like max yeah. effort. Everything was max effort. I had a, whatever I did on the lat pull down last week, I had to do 10 pounds more. You know, if it's a concentration curl, you got to go heavier. So that was, um, and, and listen, I don't, would I change some things? Yeah. If you could go back, uh, of course we know more as we get older. Uh, but at the same time, when you're in your twenties and you don't have, you know, I had the back issues, but like upper body wise, when nothing hurts and the old guys telling you, well, you should really warm up more. You, you don't need to go heavy every single day. You, you don't always have to start your workout with the straight bar, a straight bar bench, a straight bar deadlift, a straight bar squat. While I say I would go back and change some things, I don't know if a, a you know a pretty healthy, <laughs> strong twenty three year old Joe DeFranco would listen to the the forty seven year old anyway. So yeah. um, it's kind of a stupid conversation go, going back. So I will say uh, now though, what I've learned and and changes that I've almost had to make there there's so many of them, but just some off the top of my head. That's one I, I kind of already just touched on the. The straight bar, while I used to think that is the foundational piece of equipment, you have to train with a barbell. Um, and while the barbell is a great tool, it is also very unforgiving. You know, when you bench press, your hand is on in a fixed position, you're internally rotated. Back squats, if you don't have great shoulder mobility, like I, I just spoke about that external rotation and, and pec and lat mobility, you're kind of you know, you're wedging yourself into this bar. And it, it's, it amazes me how, when I was younger, uh, where as I got older, like you just pain becomes, you think it's part of the process. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I lift weights and I'm sore all the time and my joints hurt all the time, but that's just part of the process. That mentality to me, I have completely shifted um, from a, a mentality standpoint. Now, I go into the gym to enhance my everyday life, not take away from it. And when I look back, I'm like, man, it was, I can't believe I, even being younger and, and not having kids, it, while you are at a different place in your life, it is kind of weird that something that's supposed to be so healthy had me feeling like crap all the time, you know, like it, it was just, it was it was known that after leg day you weren't going to be able to walk for three or four days like that's just normal and you're after an upper body day your shoulders hurt because you mm. bench pressed heavy and of course my joint hurts I benched yesterday like and now I'm just like man I tell everybody rule number one never train through pain if something and not I'm not talking about a burn and 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 pushing yourself. No, I'm talking about like you do something and it's a bad pain. It's joint. It's not right. You, that's not the exercise for you. Or figure out why does that hurt? Is it an immobility? Is it a weakness? Is it a technical uh, deficiency? If so, then yes, let's try to fix it so you can do that thing. But in the meantime, you're not going to just keep doing something that is causing pain. So now I, I don't train through pain. I listen to my body. If something hurts in a bad way, I remove that exercise. 
I say this all the time. There are no mandatory exercises like perfect how we just spoke about with the mobility. You, yes, there are foundational movement patterns that I train hinge pattern, a squat pattern, a lunge pattern, upper body pushing and pulling and some kind of carrying or or sled dragging. Those are my main foundational kind of non-negotiable movements that are always in my program but the specific exercise I choose for each of those movements varies and depends on how I'm feeling, my personal body type, my injury history, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like the biggest, you know, globally speaking, the biggest change in my training is that. And, and following that rule, I use less and less straight bar in my workout. Um, and my, where my only form of progression used to be go is put more weight on the bar. Now I have enough experience to know there are many ways to progress an exercise, not just go heavier. That's one of many. And now I focus more on the, the other ways. The, I always talk about, I do everything in my power to make lighter weights feel heavier mm. than instead of just always trying to lift heavy weights. It reminds me of uh, earlier this year, I got back from like Mexico and I was, uh, I was just wanting to get back into the gym, really build myself up. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to like high bar squat, you know, and uh, I want to get my high bar squat up. And I, and I got my high bar squat up and got it up to doing an actual PR, but my body felt wrecked every single time I did high bar squats. And then afterwards, I'm like, why am I, why am I even doing this? Because there was like this ego component to it as well. It's like, I want to just like get this PR, but PRs don't even matter anymore. Like who cares about these things? Nobody. Um, one, one thing I've noticed is that I'm moving more towards machines right now um, because of the way that it fixes the movement. So it kind of decreases the injury or the uh, risk of injury a little bit. And before I used to be like, I think machines are just like, you know, keep on using dumbbells and barbells and, you know, be, be a purist in that sense. But machines actually do have a place, especially as you get older. Uh, I've seen you have some uh, machines inside of, I'm guessing it's your garage. You have like yes. this ridiculous like home gym in your garage. It's amazing. Um, can you speak a little bit about uh, machines and also kind of like uh, if you gravitated towards them, what you have noticed by training them and putting them into your uh, your programs? Yeah, a hundred percent. You're. I've gone like a complete one eighty on this. Uh, but again, not that what I used to do. I I don't think I would change it. I, um, I would. I would change a little bit, but I I come up came up in this industry as as a personal trainer working predominantly or all with athletes high school college pro athletes for the first 20 years of my career and in i had four different gyms and we had no machines it was this it's free weights it's sleds yeah. um the only machine i had was a reverse hyper from louis simmons that was like the exception to the rule uh, and I did have one cable stack just for, you know, some uh, upper back work and stuff. But for, I mean, we're talking 99% barbells, dumbbells, body weight, uh, you know, TRX, uh, sleds, strongman equipment. There was no machines allowed in my gym. Now at 47, and I, 
I would still favor that. I, I think the majority of your work while you're you, you know developing, especially if performance and athleticism is your goal. If I had to pick, I'm going to favor more free weight, body weight stuff. But I certainly wouldn't be as extreme as I was back then and say no machines. If mm-hmm. I if I redid it again, I would have some machines in my gym because what happened was, and my my first lesson in this was. I was fortunate and in this industry long enough that I I had seven kids that I trained in high school that stuck with me through high school, through college, and ended up making it into the NFL, some of which still train with me today as 35-year-old dads of three, you know, retired for six, eight years or like it's been a long road, <laughs> but the 15, 16, 17-year-old versions of those kids trying to get a football scholarship, yes, body weight, free weight, sled stuff, absolutely. But then I started getting guys that were in the NFL four, five, six years, which is the equivalent of having like an 80-year-old body with the pounding that those guys take. And I started realizing, you know, things started hurting them. So, you know, I'm trying to make them do a barbell back squat in season and they're like they're now educating me on Joe I'm sorry I'm not trying to you know be lazy or this just doesn't I I can't put a bar on my back like I I need to get my body ready for Sunday and I'm not feeling good right now it's like I was in the equivalent of 70 car accidents <laughs> last Sunday I'm trying to recover from that and that made me realize you know what Maybe I have to – I went from the the polarizing young coach who said there's no machines in my gym, you know, machines are for wimps and all this kind of stuff to, well, instead of this guy doing nothing, man, it would help if I had a leg press or some kind of a squat machine, something that's a little easier on his body, yet we could still get a stimulus and help him maintain his muscle mass and his strength in season and that's what started to happen. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make an exception. We're going to do some – I'm going to allow you uh, to leg press you know, this week. And then I actually you, – you mentioned my garage. In my garage, I started getting rid of some of the free weights and I got a dual you know, cable crossover and, and uh, a pulley system. And I'm get, I, we just ordered a hip thrust machine. And like now you're seeing more machines in my garage because now I'm that – you know, the, the, the NFL veteran, so to speak, like I'm the guy with that body who I still want to train. I want to strong. I want to be strong. It's important as we get older to keep muscle on our body. You know, you lose muscle, that strength is coming next and you know, you go down the line. Hmm. So how ignorant is it to say like, no, I'm, I'm a free weight only guy. If something hurts and we could get that same stimulus from a machine why wouldn't you? And especially now, my goal, yes, I want to function well, but I want to, you know, hypertrophy and just maintaining and even building a little bit of muscle is my goal. And you can make an argument that more stability and, and, you know, the ease of setup of a machine allows for kind of more output and you could focus more just on the muscle you're trying to work. So it actually is probably better for, you know, one of my main goals now, which is just hypertrophy and, and muscle maintenance. So it, again, it answered depends, mm-hmm. but it's also shows you that there is a time and a place for everything and, and machines 
are one of those things now that are in my program uh, as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, big fan of leg presses, pendulum uh, squats. Pen- yep. Oh, my God. Uh, it's just It just feels so much better than, yeah. <laughs> than using the barbell versions. So one thing I want to mention is that your montages uh, at your former gym <laughs> are, are just classic. Uh, you had uh, all these pro athletes. You had all these elite athletes, uh, just just basically like prowler pushing 500 pounds on a freaking prowler and uh, just lifting ungodly amounts of weight. It was uh, it was one of those things where I looked at before I go to my gym sessions. I'm like, all right, let's let's do this. That's now, so cool. It it's I, it's funny because at the time YouTube was new. Mm. You know, that's how long ago this was, and. I, I had no idea. It's just very cool for me to hear another person uh, like yourself say that because it's that that montage was just like filmed with a flip cam. No, no uh, production. You know, it was just, oh, this is something pretty cool. I'd, I'd pull the flip cam out of my pocket, get a quick clip. <laughs> and I have heard from people literally all over the world at this point who who tell me that was my favorite montage mm-hmm. before the gym every day when I was in high school, college and beyond. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's just so cool that that has had such an impact. Yeah. If you're um, listening to this, look it up. Uh, Joe DeFranco montage. It is one of the rawest uh, videos you will see on training <laughs> essentially. Now you mentioned pro athletes and I, I had this curiosity. So I know that uh, you have this foray into training high-level pro football players. You also train wrestlers like The Undertaker and Triple H. I wanted to know, or I want to ask you, what do you feel were the differences between uh, those two sets of athletes, both physically and mentally in the way that they approach their training? Yeah, the, um, man, insane respect for obviously both uh classes of athlete you got the pro football players and the pro wrestlers for those who maybe don't follow pro wrestling and it just you know it has the stigma of oh that's the you know guys in their underwear the 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 quote-unquote fake wrestling man when i've i've been training triple h and stephanie mcmahon now for 11 years i actually just came from their house this morning Hmm. uh just made it to do this podcast um the the amount of respect I have for them, it, it, so people know, yes, it it is known now. The the outcome is predetermined. You know, they're they're kind of working with each other, but the physicality of it is very real. Like, yet they're not trying to you know punch each other in the face and hurt each other. But I could tell you, I've been in a wrestling ring. Somebody body slams you, it it hurts and and the ropes are real rope it's not a bungee cord like just leaning the first time i went in a wrestling ring just leaning on the ropes i had welts and scrapes <laughs> on my ribs and my lats the next day so brutal to the point where i could say and this is no disrespect to nfl players because what they put their body through is insane but pro wrestling it's 52 weeks of the year they have no off season and the business has changed a little bit, but up until a, a few years ago, these guys and girls are wrestling on the road five to six times a week, mm. 52 weeks a year. So while they are not trying to hurt each other, just the physicality of it being on the road and having no off season, one, 
makes it much different than any other sport or, you know, caliber of athlete I've ever worked with. And two, I think the the biggest difference with pro wrestling compared to pro football or, or really just any pro athlete is there's a combo. They need the performance aspect because they are doing very physical things in the ring, some more than others. You know, it's very it, – it's like a combination of gymnastics, football, bodybuilding, uh, and a stuntman kind of all mm. rolled into one. But they have the aesthetic component. Obviously, they're not all considered body guys. What they call the you know the guys with the the, the great physiques, but they the majority of them they need to look good. So there's an aesthetic component and kind of a hypertrophy bodybuilding style training, but they need just enough athleticism and mobility to perform and prevent injury. So that, you know, makes, that's why I really enjoy uh, training the the WWE clients I've had. It's a real challenge while you're not training them. It's not like, you know, training a pro football player where you train them. And then on Sunday you're, you're rooting for them to win the game, you know, score touchdowns, make tackles, like, the the WWE guys, it's not about wins and losses, but it's way harder in the sense of balancing all the different attributes that they need and doing it basically in season. There, again, there's no off season, so you it's got to be just enough to get get a result, but not too much where they can't recover from it and still perform in the ring. So that's the biggest difference. You're you're trying to improve multiple qualities as opposed to maybe just like speed and power for some some athletes it's like trying to train a bodybuilder that has to get on stage and yet has to have like a 43 inch vertical at the same time it's ridiculous like do a backflip as part of his routine (laughs) it's it's bizarre it's crazy but they're incredible incredible performers athletes the the whole deal It, it really is remarkable when you get a little peek behind the curtain at how much really goes into that profession so I wanted to ask you this uh, question, which is, uh, what was the encounter with the dinosaur when you first went to <laughs> Triple H and Stephanie's, my man's house? Oh man, that is good. That yeah, you've done your homework. That is a <laughs> that's an amazing question. Um, still sends shivers down my spine. Um, it's eleven years ago. The first time I've ever been asked this on someone. I. Briefly told the story on one of my old podcasts, but nobody's ever asked me this. So a uh, great question. Thank you. Um, so I get called uh, to I'm, – I'm training just a quick little backstory because it, 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 uh, it adds to the, to the story. The fact that this is my very first time training Triple H and Stephanie McMahon prior – I'm training a group of college kids. My my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, comes to me and says, hey, I just got a voicemail from a guy who claims he's in the WWE asking if you could call him back. His name is Paul Levesque. And I'm like, ah, I know, you know, I was getting a lot of calls at that mm-hmm. point. I'm like, I never heard. He's no, he's nobody I've ever heard of. He's, I doubt he's even in the WWE. He's probably just trying to get me to call him back. Thankfully, I'm training a group of college football players at the time. And this is when wrestling was like 
super hot, you know, yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin and and Triple H and that the whole crew. So one of the college guys goes, "Whoa, wait!" And he rips the the notepad out of my girl, my wife's hand, and says, "Paul Levesque, that's Triple H from the WWE." And I'm like, "No way, really." So Google real quick. Sure enough, I'm like, holy shit, that was Triple H uh, calling me at the gym randomly asking to talk to me. He had just gotten shoulder surgery, was Googling, you know, uh, he was very bodybuilding style trained, very into bodybuilding, jacked, you know, looked phenomenal, but had just turned 40 and kind of to, you know, conversation we we're just having his bodybuilding style training, he felt was now catching up to him because in his 40s, he was having – he tore both quads, then he tore his shoulder. So he's like, I, I got to start training like an athlete if I want to prolong my career. My name comes up. He just takes a stab at it, you know, calls the gym. So I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Never trained a WWE guy. I call him. We talk. He lives an hour and a half away. So he's like, I'm, I'd love to have you come train me and my wife, but if it's not feasible, you know – we, I understand you're busy and it's a long ride, but can we try it? Can we do like, uh, I forget if it was a week or a month. Can we do like a little trial period and see if you can make it work? I go, sure. So this is my first visit to Triple H and Stephanie McMahon's house, you know, gated community, big deal. I've never trained anybody from the WWE. They're, you know, as big as it gets in that world, you know, Stephanie McMahon is Vince McMahon's daughter for people who don't know. So I'm, you know, I'm, I never get nervous. I'm still, I've been training clients now for like 16, 17 years at this point, but I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I, I don't usually do in-home appointments. So mm. you, know, you pull up to this big, beautiful house, it's gated. They got to buzz you in. They say, go to the back, knock on the back door and, um, you know, our nanny or someone will let you in. So, you know, I'm a little worried for a session. You have to go. There was like there's five or six stairs you go down and then they have a private entrance that goes right to their home gym. So I walk down these stairs. I ring the doorbell. I'm waiting. And it, I mean, it truly like a movie. I swear to God, it was sunny day out. And all of a sudden, just like a cloud came over me. And I'm like, like, it's like, so, like a giant was standing or I thought <laughs> in my brain, it looked like a dinosaur because this huge <laughs> shadow of like an animal just hovered over me. I slowly turn around and look and they have a 200 and I'm not exaggerating because I, I saw them weigh this dog, a 232 pound mastiff staring at me on, and now he's even bigger because he's six he's at the top of the stairs i'm at the bottom and he's just going <laughs> and i'm like and he's like little drool and some spit coming out of his mouth and i see the teeth i am and i love dogs but i am crapping my pants i'm I'm not, I can't knock hard enough on the door, but I don't want to be disrespectful. I don't want to keep ringing the doorbell. I'm the new trainer, but they didn't tell me they had a freaking, a, a grown man, uh, <laughs> dog weighs 30 pounds more than me. And the thing's growling and look at it one step down the stairs. I'm like, holy crap. I'm trying not to show I'm nervous. Cause I know dogs feed off that energy. Usually dogs are very mm -hmm. friendly 
with me. I think I'm going to get eaten before I even get to this first session. Thank the good Lord. Somebody was looking over me. He got down to like the second or third step and they answer the door and I'm like, Oh my God, thank you. You know? And they go, Oh, you met Bluto. I go, yeah, I don't think Bluto likes me too much. And they go, Oh yeah. You know what? I'm so sorry. You know, he's very friendly, but he is very protective. Like with new people on our property that we, we probably should have made sure he wasn't roaming the grounds when you got here. But me and Bluto ended up becoming very good friends afterwards, but that was my, encounter with a dinosaur for the longest 10 seconds of my life yeah and mastiffs are not any breed to mess around with either they no. yeah they are they're quite vicious when they want to be uh yeah. when they don't they are amazing beautiful dog like i said once he got to know me oh my god i love i love and unfortunately he passed away a couple years now they have two more they have andre the giant <laughs> and attila the andre and attila are their two new mastiffs which met me in the right circumstances from day one. So we're very, very cool. But yeah, you don't want to, it's like, it's, it's like a horse or a lion. Like they're, he, he was 232 pounds. Yeah. Enormous. Crazy. Yeah. And they're very, they're very stubborn dogs as well. Extremely stubborn dogs. Now, are there any other stories from uh, training pro football players or training uh, WWE guys uh, that you can share with us? Um, no, I mean that, that was probably the, the funny, I'm sure I'll probably think of 20 when we, um, (laughs) you know, get done with the podcast, but, uh, yeah, I mean just the, I think the day to day is so, I, I, what I consider normal, you know, to me, I, I, I can't really think of anything that stands out, but I think if an outsider walked in the gym during those days, it was just so intense and every day, like the competition. One thing I'm very proud of, and this is unlike a lot of facilities that train pro athletes. I never did any marketing or advertising, but like I had my YouTube channel and that obviously worked as marketing, but I never really thought of it as that. I really just started putting up videos at, for the high, it started with high school kids that were making great progress. And it was for them to show their friends at school. But then YouTube became this global thing. And next thing you know, I'm getting athletes from all over the world coming to train with me. But, you know, a lot of people that work with pro athletes will tell you, that, you know, they're making millions of dollars. A lot of them don't like to train. That's mm. like the general public doesn't realize pro football players aren't like us. They don't like going to the gym, the majority of them don't like going to the gym. It, they know it's part of their job. It can help prolong their career. So they do it, but they kind of do it with like the least amount of effort possible to get the desired result. I proudly say my gym just attracted like the 1% of the 1% of pro athletes that had more of that blue collar mentality where they all wanted to compete. And they came to DeFranco's gym because they wanted to be there, not because I offered them free training or their agent was making them come to me. Like these were, were guys that were more into train. A lot of them were like long shots to make it. And they still had that, you know, 
mentality of being the underdog and and I'm not supposed to make the team and everybody's against me and there's always someone trying to take my job so I'm going to go to DeFranco's in the offseason and I'm going to get bigger stronger faster so it's it, that's more my memory is just in general how intense the atmosphere was and a lot of people like thought I was like this intense like yelling screaming because of the videos mm. I'm actually very laid back. I'm more like, I consider myself a coach, not a cheerleader. I'm not the guy walking around the gym yelling and screaming, but the, the, the clients, the atmosphere that they, they created that atmosphere, not so much me. I just kind of managed it and, and told them what, you know, I was like the mastermind behind the workouts, but they were the ones bringing the intensity and the craziness. And it was just every workout was, a competition. And, mm -hmm. and that's more what I remember that aspect of the gym was just so motivating. Like I couldn't wait to train when they were done. I couldn't wait to, you know, feed off the energy that was still in the gym and kind of do my own workouts. But yeah, yeah it, was, it was more about just that in general than any one specific incident. Definitely got to give yourself credit though, because I, I've, I've owned a gym before and grown communities and there is something to be said about the standard of the community that you set. And mm. for you, uh, it, it, your clients have a lot to do with it, but there probably is a certain standard that you uphold inside of that gym that makes everyone just like be at that standard and also hold others accountable to be at that standard as well. And anyone who isn't at that standard, they usually don't last very long, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. And that, that is true because I did have, there were a couple like, you know, quote unquote, big name, bigger name NFL guys than, than I normally had in my gym that showed up to try it out. And I can't tell you how many people came once, twice <laughs> and never came back because to your point, they just didn't, it was like, Oh wait, the, the NFL guys, they, they have, you know, they have to follow the rules too. Mm -hmm. They, you know, we, we're going to have to work just as hard. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't making their protein shake after the workout <laughs> and coddling them. It's like, no, you bring your own shake for after the workout, you do your warm up. you compete, you put your weights back after you're done. Like that was one thing where there was, there was that respect for the, the gym in general, whether you were an all pro NFL football player or a 15 year old kid on your first day there. Like you, you respected that gym. Otherwise, to your point, you, I didn't even, I had to only physically, you know, ask one person in my entire career, I kind of asked to leave the gym, mm. but the others left on their own because they weren't comfortable with whether it was too hard, too much work that we didn't have air condition. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't coddling to them for whatever reason, um, they, they would leave. And I think that's, then it just became the atmosphere and the, the, the community, the camaraderie. It was just, it was unlike any other place. I'm, I'm something I'm really proud of. Yeah. And then, and now you're coaching the coaches right now. Yeah. You're doing certifications. Basically. Uh, are you still doing the one-on-one? You're still doing one-on-one -on -one training right now for a couple of like athletes that you were training before. Yes, like I, a handful. I'm doing like, you know, 12, 15 hours a week instead of 12 to 15 hours a day now. How, how do you manage all of that with uh, – so how, you have a couple of kids. Uh, you're married, obviously. Yes. And then 
So how do you manage that? You're managing your business. Uh, you're also doing the certifications. You're coaching the coaches. Uh, you're putting out programs uh, like the ones that you have with like Smitty Diesel, the ones that you're doing on your own. Like, what what exactly does a day in your life look like? And how do you kind of like <laughs> make sure that you give the time and attention to the things that need time and attention? I, look. I would love to have a great answer for this, but I'm uh, to be blunt. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's it's very difficult. If I again, I I pride myself on being honest and transparent. Uh, I don't have. Uh, I'm 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 trying my best. We'll put it that way. Yeah. I, and the only answer I could give is I don't think if you want to be successful, I really. I don't know if I believe in balance. I want to, but I also I've met too many other successful people that the the whole going full circle and we started with the whole like, you know, facade of social media and and all the BS on social media. The whole, you know, work from a laptop from a <laughs> beach for 2 hours a day and still be a multimillionaire. Maybe that does exist for somebody, but I haven't figured that out yet. If I do, I'll come back on this podcast and I will be more than happy to share it with you and your audience. But um, yeah, my thing is I am a workaholic. I do have – I have twin daughters, 11-year-old twin daughters, a wife, a family, and, and I, I pride myself. My most important job is dad and husband, but – I love what I do mm. and um, doesn't mean it's not work, doesn't mean it's not stressful, but I, I've just – and I've had conversations with Triple H about this. Him and Stephanie McMahon basically run the WWE. They're, you know, they're still – up until like a year ago, they're still characters on the show, running the company, traveling. I'm blown away by their ability and I think um, Triple H was the one who told me this. Where he said, listen – there's no balance and, and you need, to, you have to kind of learn how to multitask. And I, you're, you're doing five, six, seven things per day. The best advice I could give you is just go all in on whatever the thing is you're doing at that moment, be all in on that. Like I, you know, he, he as well said, I haven't figured out the balance thing. I wish I had more balance in my life, but that's where I'm at right now. When like right here, when I'm talking to you, I'm all in on this conversation and I shut my phone off and I'm, I'm focused on this. I, right after this, I have two clients at the gym. I'm going to be all in on that. Then I'm meet my kids have their soccer coach that they started with last week. I, I, I moved my appointments around at the gym to make sure that I don't miss that. So there is a lot of running around. So I guess you wouldn't call that balance, but I am 100% focused blinders on locked in on the thing that I'm doing it when I'm doing it. And that has worked for me. I I'd love to, especially with the family stuff, I, I would love to spend more time with my kids. And I'm still at the point where I'm trying to set some things up business wise um, and create systems that I, I personally don't have to be there mm. as much. So I, I think I will get there with a little bit better balance. But for now, I feel like I know dads and, and parents that's like say, oh, I, we spend all weekend with our kids. But then, yeah, you're spending all weekend with them. But then I see like at the soccer game, you're staring. You're not even watching mm. the game. You're on your phone the whole time. So I'll take my 
whatever it is, one hour a day instead of seven hours a day with my kids. But that one hour, I'm locked in. I'm talking to them. I'm engaged. I'm listening to what they're saying. I think that's more important and more valuable than, you know, quote unquote, being around all day, but you're not really present. You're not there. You're doing other things. So that's how I kind of rationalize and and I live. It's like, yeah, I don't have balance yet, but at least I know I'm all in. I'm giving a hundred percent to whatever I'm doing at that moment. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. I'm going to say that I, I too, I, I can work all fucking day. Like it's, it's nothing to me. And and then uh, you have to, not you have to, but you do have to, uh, at least for me, it's like you got to find whatever the balance is for you. I love the idea of going all in because when you go all in, that means that you're expanding the quality aspect of things rather than the quantity aspect of things, mm. which a lot of people try to focus on. Like quantity can be so empty if you're on your phone the entire time with like uh, when you're around your kids. But if you're actually like locked in and focused during the time that you're with them, that actually means so much more. So yep. very, I, I love that answer to that question. Now I have a couple more. Uh, one is going to be a little bit more on training related. The other one is going to be uh, focused on uh, something a little bit cooler. So in terms of the perfect anatomy of an actual workout, we talked a little bit about strength training. We talked a little bit about uh, about mobility, but let's just say for the normal average 40 year old person who 40 year old person who just wants to have enough energy to play with their kids, have, you know, have the mobility to do so be able to, uh, be able to use their bodies well into their old age. Like what would you see as like the perfect anatomy or skeleton of the workouts that they would put on themselves? Um, but- you, are you talking like specifics or kind of a, a template of how like a, a workout template? Be? Yeah, because because I'll I'll come from a context of like what most people's idea of a workout is: jumping on the treadmill for fifteen <laughs> minutes and thinking like they're they're warmed up, going to you know doing whatever strength training program there is or whatever that they're whatever machines are available, and then leaving the gym right afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I would say like, you know, what, what exactly is the template or the skeleton or the blueprint that you would use? Not necessarily utilizing like certain exercises, but you know, how would you start, uh, start a workout? How would you do a workout and how would you finish a workout? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, and that is true. It's funny. I guess we're, you know, my inner circle and the people I speak with, we kind of take this stuff for granted. But when you go into yeah. your general health club, it is, yeah, the guy just walks in the gym and throws a 45 on the bench and, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's their workout begins, you know. So, yeah, your every workout and especially if you are mid 35 and beyond, you got to start with a proper warm up. I always say warm up to train, don't train to warm up. And what I mean by that is that example, like don't use your training. If your first exercise is going to be a barbell bench press, don't use that as your warm up. You mm. need to warm up and then train, not use your training as your warm up. Those that's a recipe for injury surgery later, later in life. I, I guarantee that. So and the warm up a lot of people the warm up is is one of those things where i think now it's getting a little people are starting to understand the importance but then 
you could overdo it too. It doesn't yeah. need to be 30, 40 minutes. Um, and I think some people might think that. So then they just skip it all together and yeah. you don't want that either. So, I mean, it could be, if you know what you're doing from five to 10 minutes, you could have an awesome warm up and just with it, not getting super, super specific, but just know when I say warm up, I'm not talking just jumping on a treadmill either. That's all that that's increasing your core temperature, basically, maybe help you break a little bit of a sweat, which should be part of a, a comprehensive warm up, but it's not the whole warm up. So the main components of a warm up, and again, if you know what you're doing, you could cram this into five, six minutes. Generally, I go about 10 to 12 um, for, for most of my programs, but you want to increase your core temperature. You do want to have a little sweat crack before you do something. So that's one part of it. And again, I'm being very general in our certification. We have like eight different phases, but they kind of blend together. We get a little more in depth, but generally speaking, increase core temperature. You want to mobilize the restricted areas for most people. Think of all the muscles you could see when you look in the mirror, you know, your pecs, your shoulders were rounded over, we're tight. Um, we talked about like hip flexors, quads, generally find your, you know, areas of most restriction do pick one or two mobility drills for those areas. And then you want to kind of activate, strengthen, wake up prime, whatever you want to call the weaker areas of your body. Generally that's the muscles we can't see when we look in the mirror. So your upper back, your glutes, your hamstrings, we want to prime those. We want to wake those up. And then I like to finish with, I say, finish with a, a sprint jump or throw. This doesn't mean you need to be a track star. And for most people, it might not be sprints, but a jump, a basic box jump uh, on a low box, not, not, you know, max effort box jumps, but five to 10 jumps or med ball throws just to kind of fire up your nervous system is very important. It's like almost like think of it like drinking a cup of coffee before your workout. It fires up your CNS, it primes you, wakes you up, and you're going to feel way better going into that that first exercise. And especially as we age, um, more and more is coming out. Uh, power is the physical quality that is lost the most, like three times uh, when you compare it to like muscle mass. We we lose muscle too at a rate, but power's lost three times um, as much as muscle, twice as much as strength. So you want to. The good news is though, you don't need a lot to maintain those fast twitch fibers. I that's true. That's what I program. I I say microdose your power. <laughs> a, a couple jumps, a couple throws at the end of each warm up. You add that up throughout the course of the week. That's enough volume for you to maintain those fast twitch fibers and, um, you know, prevent the, the loss of power output hmm. as you age. So, uh, you know, just pick med ball slam is great. A chest passive into a wall. If you're outside fun to throw backward overhead med ball throw, but just pick something fast, but safe, not I say low technical skill with these movements, high output, right? Pick something that's like, a three to a five on a scale from one to 10 uh, on the difficulty level. So you could execute it with 10 out of 10 hmm. technique. That's your, and, and I spent more, um, you'll notice I just spent the most time 
on this template on the warm-up because yeah. I think that's what people need the most. And it might sound like a lot, but again, five to 10 minutes, you're done with the warm-up. You're going to get so much more out of your workout. Um, again, I, I don't want to sound like a, you know, beat a dead horse, but my brain goes a thousand different directions. When I talk about a workout template, it depends, it depends, it depends. There's, there's a million different rules and they could be broken for Mm. different, you know, uh, clients and different goals. But generally speaking, after that warm up and finishing with kind of a power movement, you want to start with your main lift, the lift of most importance. If it's a lower body day, that's going to be like your hinge or your squat pattern. If it's an upper body day, it's going to be a big, you know, pushing pattern or like a pull up or whatever your main kind of strength movement is. I would start with that. Then you have kind of a supplemental movement, something that you know, what kind of complements the main strength movement. And that's kind of a combo strength slash hypertrophy. If your first exercise is kind of your heaviest movement, the second exercise could be mid rep range, you know, six to 12, eight to 12 reps there. And then whether you do a circuit or, you know, you could do maybe a hypertrophy circuit where it's a little um, more accessory type movements, whether it's one, three, again, that depends on how much time you have, what your goal is, but that would kind of round out your accessory stuff. You could, I like finishing, you know, uh, not always, but I like some kind of a finisher, like a farmer's walk, like a carry, a sled drag. Mm. Maybe it's, if you like doing a little extra core work we throw some core stuff in our warm-up but if you want some extra core work that could be done at the end of your workout uh, a metabolic type of finisher if you're pressed for time and you can't kind of separate like conditioning days maybe you do some intervals mm. on a bike or something um that would conclude the workout and then the very important often neglected aspect of bringing your body back down and kickstarting the recovery process. This is something I never did when I was younger, but now it's like made it to like the non-negotiable list. I There's many ways you could do, you know, just kind of bring your body back down. I like box breathing basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, many different breathing techniques, but basically I mostly train in my garage. So I lay, I lay down, put my feet up, on the bench, I have my palms up. Most of us are internally rotated. So I just lay with my palms up and I have a, a free app on my phone called Pranayama. It's like, it's guided breathing. So just an example, box breathing to slow down your breathing. I do um, nasal only. And I might just say, as an example, five second inhale, Hold the inhale for five seconds, five second exhale, hold the exhale for five seconds. So that's, you know, 20 seconds per breath. You're only, it's three breaths per minute. So in, in man, as little as three minutes, three to five minutes is generally what I do this for. You're taking your body from that sympathetic, you know, fight or flight. I just worked out and I was all jacked up to parasympathetic, which is rest, digest, kickstart the recovery process. You'll digest your post-workout meal better. You'll kickstart the recovery process better. And again, 
you could you could literally change the physiology of your body in as little as two to three minutes. So it doesn't take long. But I, I really think that's an important one uh, to finish your workout with. Bring your body back down instead of just you know finishing that last set, grabbing your bag, hopping in your car. You're in traffic. I live in New Jersey, so I'm cursing people driving to work. Like you, you want to bring everything back down and kickstart that recovery process. You will notice, especially if you're like type A personality like mm. me, that will pay huge dividends, blood pressure, recovery, so many positives of just that two to three, two to five minutes. Um, right there so uh incorporate that into your workout template that's beautiful uh i'm i'm actually gonna be uh doing that last part i mean i got the mobility right i have the workouts but it's like it's that last part where you kind of just like put on your clothes you get back out there and then you're still in this like sympathetic state you're still in this like it's it's almost like you're turned on a little bit i I live that that forever it it really makes a difference it really makes a difference all right so final question now, if uh, let's just say you're going to an island, you can only bring one sneaker with you <laughs> to that island. Ooh, which sneaker it. would it be and why? I'd rather you ask me which one of my twins I would uh, <laughs> Don't let my wife or my kids hear me say that. Oh, man. Uh, that's a tough one. I would say... While I am, if I'm going to be living on this island, I'm a big sneaker guy. And while I, I love, I'm, a, I'm an Air Max 1 and a Jordan 1 mm. guy. Like 90% of my, my sneakers are those two. Classic. But the most comfortable sneakers that I actually also like how they look and wear them often. So if I'm going to be on, on I don't want to get like, you know, sand and dirt on my new Jordan lost and founds or some of these more expensive sneakers. So the air force one fly knits are my like mm. go-to that are comfortable. There's um like a, a black and black and white, black and gray pair. That's kind of like my go-to uniform. They, they don't show dirt, you know, they, they always look nice and clean and fresh kind of go with everything very comfortable um and I'm glad and they're they're actually hard to get now because it's the whole sneaker thing is weird they yeah. put sneakers out for a freaking week and then you can't they they jack the price up to five hundred dollars <laughs> you can't get them anymore so I'm, I'm gonna go Air Force one fly knits it's because of guys go. like you that's why yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's exactly Good, why. Touche. Yeah. Touche. Good point. Yeah. Well, Joe, I, I had so much fun on this. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, I, I just want you, I, I just hope that you know how much difference uh, you've made, not only in my life, but in the lives of your clients, but also the lives of other trainers. We have lived on your content and we have learned so much from you that uh that you've kind of paved the way for i would say you're actually one of the godfathers who paved the way for mobility to become what it is right now so i can't say enough thank you so much i appreciate you so much and uh and yes if people want to uh either follow you or even take one of your certifications where can they go and thank you so much. Coming from you, like I said, that that means a lot to me. Um, now, as someone who follows your content and learns from you, 
that's so cool for me to hear that I, I actually had some impact uh, and influence on your stuff. Uh, it's, it's literally why I, I do what I do. So thank you um, for that. And keep up the amazing work thank yourself. You. you are making a huge difference. Uh, it's amazing. So uh, with that being said, I'm most active on Instagram at the Franco's Gym. My certification we're we're updating the website, but you could get information and and sign up for any of the courses at cppscoaches.com. It stands for Certified Physical Preparation Specialist. And um it's all online now. We do in-person practical uh courses where we go over the practical aspects of the course, but it's not mandatory. You could get the entire course online. And um we are currently running a 20% off sale. If you use the coupon JOD20, you'll save 20%. So if you're interested there, cppscoaches.com. And then uh, my podcast is the Industrial Strength Show. It comes out every Thursday. And you can find that on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music, I believe. Classic. Classic. Joe, thank you so much. And, uh, and yeah, if you're listening to this, go follow Joe on Instagram. If you're a coach or a trainer that's listening to this, do his certification, uh, you will become a way better uh, coach and trainer, and you will be able to relay that to your clients. And, and yeah, Joe, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you again for listening to The Dango Show. We have some amazing episodes coming your way, so make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. If you're already subscribed and today's episode hit home for you, please share this episode with someone that you know who'd benefit from listening. Take care and see you every week on your favorite podcasting app.